0: Welcome back to Delving into the Cold. This is Dee. Happy Halloween. Um, I know that you guys have been very patient with me and you've waited for this Halloween episode and so I hope it doesn't disappoint. Uh, it may be a tad bit long. Uh, that was the goal anyway. We're going to be covering, um, three different cases. Um, and it's, uh titled uh, True Crime and Old Hollywood so I mean I guess you can take from that what we'll be talking about tonight Um, and I don't know just sometimes my brain makes weird associations and my brain decided that Hollywood and Halloween went together so hence the Hollywood theme of the Halloween special. The first case that we're going to talk about is the murder of William Desmond Taylor. Now, William Desmond Taylor, for you guys that don't know, was a silent film director and also an actor, but he's probably more well known as being a director. And... He was born on April 26, 1872, in Ireland. Um, He was actually born as William Cunningham Dean Tan. William Desmond Taylor is just, I guess, his uh, Hollywood pseudonym, if you will. Um, He left Ireland at the age of 18 in 1890 and moved to America. Um, and during this time, he uh, he got married. He had a child. He did all of the stuff that um, was appropriate for the time, except he left his wife and child to go to LA, and he became a huge success in the early film industry. Um, he was a huge advocate for motion pictures. Um, he ended up directing 59 silent movies and acting in another 27. Uh, he did serve in World <laughs> World gosh. World War One. Sorry, um, and he served, I believe, with Canada, and they um, really appreciated this and they honored him when he returned to Hollywood and it was, um, there was like a gala held for him. He was a huge actor. Um, um, in the early morning of February the 2nd, 1922, uh, his valet, Henry Peavy, came to his home and discovered that, uh, Mr. Taylor had been, well that he was dead because initially they didn't know what it was and in fact um as the crowds started gathering someone came forward and said they were a doctor they went and looked at William and said oh he died of stomach hemorrhage left the scene and was never seen again and the police were like oh I don't think so and so when they turned him over they found out that he was shot at least once in the back um so there, there is suspicious, I mean, honest. His valuables were still on his person. He, um, he still had a ring on. He had, I believe he had a watch on. I know that he had a necklace in his pocket. He had money in his pocket. So nothing of value was taken from his body. However, he had taken out a large sum of money the day before. From his bank account and they never found it and people you know have assumed that the killer took it but that could be completely false it could have been just that it didn't turn up during the search um, it was an it was finally concluded that his time of death was around 8 p.m. on February the first um, and there was a bit of speculation about his mental health leading up to his death. Some of his friends said that he was having issues and that he's kind of on a downward spiral. Um, and they were worried possibly that had something to do with his death. But again, that wasn't everything. So let's talk about Susan our first suspect is Edward Saints Now, he was a former valet of William Taylor. Um, he was also a con man. He stole a bunch of checks from William Taylor. Um, he crashed his car and then he broke into Taylor's home and burglarized it at one point. Um, and probably the nail in his coffin in this case is that he was never seen again after uh, they found Taylor's body. Which is, uh, highly suspicious. Um, and to me, I mean, yeah, this one, like, it's plausible because he does have a history of friars. He seemed to have some problem with Taylor because he had not only stolen from him, but then after the fact, he broke into his home and burglarized it, too. And so it seems that he had some type of issue with Taylor, but I just don't know that that makes him a solid suspect to me. The second suspect, or suspects, I guess, in this situation, um, are hitmen that were hired because Taylor had gone to the police to testify against cocaine dealers who have been supplying the woman that he was in love with, Mabel Normand. Um, he went to them, he was like, I'll tell you everything, I just want them off the street, because Mabel just could not get away from the cocaine. She kept falling back into it, and every time she did, it really, really, really distraught him, and he really, hurt distressed him, sorry. And he really, really, really wanted her to get off, and he really wanted to help her to be able to do that. Um, And she believed that she was partially the cause for his death. She, you know, didn't know who would have done it or who would have, you know, hired anyone to do it. She couldn't give them names, but she was distraught at the fact that she may have, been the reason that William was murdered because she seemingly was in love with him as well. Um, In fact, the locket that I mentioned earlier, or the necklace that I mentioned earlier that was on his person at the time of his death was a locket with her name in it. Um, The third suspect, who to me is not really a suspect because I just don't see that she has that much motive, but, um, is Mary Miles' mentor, and she was a, I don't know if I would say protege, but, uh, Taylor had been building her career for a long time. She was very young. She was 19 at the time of his murder, um, and apparently she was obsessed with him. She was deeply, deeply in love with him she wanted him to love her back she was just she was head over heels for it and there's been some disagreement on whether or not he returned the feelings most people have said no he you know didn't want anything to do with that he thought he was too old he was in love with mabel normand um but there have been a lot of people that said no he you know he was totally into her they were totally together he was you know intimate with her we'll just say um, but his closest friends did report that he didn't want to see her because she was so in love with him and he just wasn't and so it's kind of reported from them that he scorned her and I mean I guess that could be a possibility for her being a suspect but I, I just don't see it if she's this much in love with him I don't think that she would have done Um The fourth suspect, and this is the one that I really believe has the most motive, the most opportunity, um, and is the most suspicious. I, I can see the hitman theory, but to me, this next suspect is the most solid. And that is Charlotte Shelby. Charlotte Shelby is Mary Miles Minter's mother, um, and apparently she was also in love with um, Taylor. She didn't want him to be with her daughter. She wanted him to be with her, and she was very controlling of um, Mary's money and roles she took and whatnot. Uh. She also owned a 38 caliber pistol um, with specialized bullets that were similar to those that were found in Taylor's body. So that's yeah, it's suspicious. She um, she refused to talk to police. In fact, she left the country so that she could avoid talking. She refused to talk to anyone about it. But her other daughter um, believed that she did kill her. She believed that she was guilty. She believed that her mother had committed this crime and got killed. And again, I think that of all of them, she has the most... I won't even say concrete, but she has the most circumstantial of um, and we're going to talk about the witnesses, and when I tell you about the witness to the crime, you'll understand why she would fit the description given by this Now, Taylor's neighbor, Faith McLean, uh, was in the home with her husband next door when she heard a loud noise around 8 p.m. on February 1st. She kind of thought it was car backfiring, but she's like, you know what, let me just go. look. Opens the door to her home and sees someone leaving Taylor's home. The person went back into the house and then came out again, stopped, smiled at her, and walked away. They were wearing dark clothes. They were skulking, you know, kind of skulking around. Um, it was said that she said it's who you would imagine when you imagined a burglar. That being said, she, she said that she thought the person could have been wearing stage makeup and that it could have been a woman due to the height and build of the person that she saw. Um... And, to me, that's kind of, that's kind of deep. Um, as I mentioned before, Henry Peavy, uh, Taylor's valet, found the body, and while he was initially a suspect, he was ruled out. Um, but Faith McLean seems like a pretty reliable witness. Uh, and I, I personally I not believe her so it, while it's hard for me to come to like a concrete cl- uh, conclusion of who I think murdered um, William Desmond Taylor I feel like the hitman theory is a little iffy because I don't think a hitman would have stayed around and I certainly don't think that they would have looked at a witness and smiled before walking away. I feel like a hitman would have immediately gotten out of the area, would have, you know, taken care of any witnesses. Uh, so that's kind of that's why that theory's not as strong. To me. Um, but I think that Charlotte Shelby is a solid suspect. She was money crazy, she was greedy, she harbored feelings for Taylor. Um, she knew her way around stage makeup, she was a stage mom. I mean, she knew her way around being someone else. Um, and she she literally never talked to anyone. She refused to comment. Um, and... People including her daughter like i said I believe she did it and she committed suicide years later without ever commenting one way or another which to me is like if you're not guilty why wouldn't you just say it what, what do you have to hide if you're not guilty so that's my thoughts on the william desmond case. moving on to case number two is the death of Virginia Rappé. Now Virginia was born on July 7th, 1895 in Chicago. Um, She was born as Virginia Caroline Rappé and her mother died when she was 11 and left her in the care of her grandmother. Now in her early teen years, she began modeling and she eventually, moved at age 21 to California to progress her career in. Um, while she was in California, she became engaged to a famous dress designer, but unfortunately he was killed in a streetcar accident. and um, so she left, I believe that was in like San Francisco. She left San Francisco and moved to LA. Um, and this is where she made her acting premiere in the 1917 film Paradise Garden. Uh, and that's kind of where it took off. She was known as America's first comedy actress. She was greatly loved. She starred in so many roles. Uh, and she got engaged to a fellow actor, Henry Learman, in... 1919, and she moved in with him in her life. Now let's fast forward to September of 1921 um, in San Francisco. She was attending a party at the St. Francis Hotel that was being thrown by um, Roscoe Fatty Arbuckle uh, for Labor Day. So she. ...attended the party beginning on September 5th, 1951. During the time that she was there, on September 5th, she suffered injuries that led to her death four days later. These injuries led to a ruptured bladder and... ...peritonitis. Um... And it's alleged that she received these injuries from a sexual assault by fatty liver. Um... The exact circumstances are unclear, but it is, it has been stated that Virginia did have other, um, health conditions that could have led to her death, but the next thing that I'm going to tell you kind of, kind of decides against that in my Now, she came to the party with a friend named Maude um, Delmont, and it stated that um, after having some bootleg gin, Virginia began to feel sick, so she made her way to room 1219, which was Fatty's room, and people saw Fatty follow behind her. Uh, And while the two knew each other, they were not friends at all. In fact, it's kind of been stated that Virginia just kind of hated Fatty, she thought he was disgusting, she thought he was crude, and she didn't want anything to do with him. Um, So later, Maude starts looking for a friend, she's like, I know she wasn't feeling well, what's happened to her and she heard her scream, so she went to investigate. When she got to the room that the screams were coming from, Fatty Arbuckle opened the door. He was in a state of undress, he was not dressed for public. Um, and Virginia was laying on a bed inside and she was clearly in pain. Now Maude alleges that Virginia screamed "Quote: He did this. He hurt me. I'm dying." End quote. So Maud goes to get the help of Al, of Al I was, was my, um, and they tried to ease Virginia's pain with ice, but it made it worse. Um. And during this time fatty was growing increasingly increasingly annoying annoyed with virginia he's like well would we shut up you know you're getting the nerves i can't stand this and he eventually left the room um while all this was happening maud's like no she's sick we need to get help so they sent for a doctor that doctor was like yeah there's nothing wrong with her left couple hours later Maude's like no we really need help and sends for another doctor. The latter doctor noted that he um, he could tell that she was clearly hurt and in pain. He gave her morphine and then and then he came back multiple times throughout that night and the next morning. And on one of his visits he inserted a catheter And noted that there was clearly damage to Virginia's bladder and that she needed surgery. That being said, they didn't do anything about it. And apparently, Virginia just kept getting worse and worse. She was in increasing pain and she just kept screaming and she was delusional and she was suffering. And so... During all of this, rather than help, Fatty left the hotel with his friends and didn't return. He reportedly got on a yacht and went sailing. So, yeah, he was very concerned. Um, and she just kept getting worse. So, instead of taking her to a hospital, they sent her to a sanatorium. Because if they went to a hospital, they were afraid... That the police would have questions and this was during prohibition there was a lot of alcohol around and they didn't want to have to deal with that so rather than get her the help they needed to get her she was sent to a sanatorium where the doctor guess what you got it failed her too he said that she had alcohol poisoning didn't do anything about it her condition continued to worsen she fell into a coma and she died Four days later, on September the 9th. So, I feel like there were at least three doctors involved in Virginia's case. I feel like a lot of people dropped the ball on this one. She could have been saved, and they didn't save her. She died. She was what 26 or something that's ridiculous um as far as whether I think Fatty did it or not yeah yeah I do she stated several times that he did it um she kept saying even in in the sanatorium she kept saying he hurt me he did this he's the reason that I'm dying and he was acquitted he was tried three times for manslaughter and he was finally acquitted officially. And the California prosecutors apologized to him, y'all. They said that they were wrong and he should have never been on trial. And I'm just, I'm blown away. Because, wow. That's a lot of proof that he's not innocent. And that's a lot of people turning a blind eye. And I mean, his career was ruined, but so what? He killed her. He forcibly raped and murdered her. And got away with it. But, uh, they weren't ready to talk about that, apparently. So, yeah, that's, um, that's Virginia Rappé's case. I just feel like so many people could have helped her, and so many people. And she was such, she was so well-loved by so many people. And it's it's kind of heartbreaking that her life was taken away just before we really could have seen what she would have done. It's really sad. Uh, the next case that we're going to talk about is Johnny Stapanato. Johnny Stapanato was born on October the 10th, 1925, in Woodstock, Illinois. He was born John Staffanotto, Jr., to Italian-American parents. Now, his mother died when he was six days old, and his father remarried, um, and eventually his father sent Johnny off to military school. Johnny graduated from military school and joined the Marines and ended up serving in the Pacific Theater in World War II. Okay. So, this is where we start to see the type of man, put on that Johnny Stamppanotto was. In 1946, he got married for the first time. By 1947, He left his wife and his son and he moved to LA without them. His wife filed for a divorce and wasn't granted until two years later when they finally granted her the divorce on the basis of desertion. So this was in 1949 that it was finally, um, this was in January of 1949 when the divorce was finally granted. In February, of 1949, he got married for the second time. He stayed married a whole three months before she decided that it was a mistake and divorced him too. So, he was like, okay, well, I need to work on my career. So, he became a bodyguard and enforcer for LA gangster Mickey Cohen, and he eventually became his right-hand man. And he did this for about four years, three or four years, and he left the gang in 1952 and got married for a third time. However, he was only married for two years when she, too, divorced him. I think we're seeing a theme here. He's a real piece of work because he's never the one that files for divorce. He's always the one that is being divorced. Um, in 1957, he entered into a relationship with Lana Turner, who was a famous actress at the time. Um, and so this is where, and I'm, I'm sure that it was present in all of his other relationships, we just don't have proof of it, because unfortunately, um, no one, uh, one of his other wives was quote-unquote famous, but not to the extent that Lana Turner. Um, but he was abusive to her. He was physically, verbally, and mentally abusive. He was violent. Um, her daughter, uh, Cheryl Crane, witnessed this on multiple occasions. And it was just a violent relationship. Um, they were together for about a year. When on the night of April 4th, 1958, um, he got physically violent with Lana. And her teenage daughter, I think she was 14 at the time, um, came in and she stabbed Stomponato. I believe she stabbed him in the stomach, um, and it killed him. She was sent to juvenile hall, but when they did the autopsy and did the investigation, it was proven that it was justifiable. So his manner of death was ruled justifiable homicide, and she was exonerated, and she was never charged. She was, however, removed from her mother's care and sent to live with her grandmother. Um, Some people believe that she didn't actually murder Johnny. Some people believe that Lana Turner did and that Cheryl was trying to protect her and cover it up. Um, And either way, my opinion on that is I, I could see either one of them. If someone was attacking my mom, I would definitely, I know that I would be violent because I'm I'm very, I love my mother, and I would do anything to protect her, Um, and I could see Cheryl doing that, but I can also see Lana, who's been consistently abused for over a year, um, and is being abused at that moment, protect herself by killing him, Um, and then her daughter protect her mother by admitting to the murder. Either way, I think it would be a justifiable homicide, because... Whether it's in self-defense or an imminent danger type of situation. I think that it's justified. Mm. So that's it, guys. That is uh, the Halloween episode. I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, I really tried to do something that you guys would like. I put the poll up. And I didn't have a lot of responses to it, so I was kind of torn on what to do. Um, That being said, if you did vote, don't worry. I will eventually cover the other two cases, or the other two two, um, subjects, rather, um, in another episode or another two episodes. Um, So you will get to hear what you wanted to hear. I just, um, this one won out. And that doesn't make it better or worse than the other subjects, it just makes it the one-on-one. That being said, um, I don't know when the next episode will be out. I just received a new job, um, and it's going to be a very demanding one. I've got a lot of responsibilities going on right now. I've got some health issues going on. I've got um, just some personal stuff going on that I'm trying to work through. And I don't want to tell you guys, like, oh, I'm going to have an episode up next week, and then you not hear from me for three months. Um, I really want to uh, give you guys content, and I really want to, you know, entertain you guys. But at the same time, like, sometimes I have to put everything else that is in my life ahead of um, the podcast. Um, but, uh, thank you guys for listening, thank you guys for staying faithful, um, we're almost at 2,000 listeners, which blows me away, um, you guys are amazing, happy Halloween, I hope you enjoy it, I hope you have a safe Halloween, I hope you have a spooky Halloween, I hope you have just an enjoyable time, um, alright guys, stay safe, stay curious, and I'll see you next time.